0: I want you to imagine this situation. Imagine a nation that is by all visible accounts successful. More people have a higher education than ever. The economy is going up. The strength of the military is increasing. Many people enjoy one of the highest standards of living at the time. It's really not that hard to imagine, right? Sounds like our country now. But this is ancient Israel, circa 600 B.C., at the time of the prophet Jeremiah. However, partly because of these people's great wisdom, might, and riches, they've stopped looking outward. They've stopped looking to God, and they've stopped looking at the needs of their neighbors. They've got everything they need from God, or so they think. And they've got everything they need to make God happy. So these people have a grave spiritual issue, and that's what Jeremiah is dealing with in our text. You know, sometimes people today have a hard time seeing exactly how the Bible relates to their lives. But it really should be clear from Jeremiah's lesson this morning that Jeremiah is dealing with the exact same things that we are still still wrestling with today. The prophet or the people that Jeremiah is speaking to They'd been blessed to know God, to understand who the triune God was. They had a relationship with God through his word and the prophets and the daily and the weekly divine services that had been established among them. They were looking forward to heaven. They were joyful in what God had done for them, and they showed it by their love and their service to their neighbors in need. But now they had started to to drift away from all of that, and, and they got very attached and caught up with the things of this world. And Jeremiah lists three things, their wisdom, their strength, and their riches. All of these things about themselves and what they had. So he says they boasted in themselves. Their God had become themselves. And so that prevented them from looking outwards, from looking to God and looking at their neighbor. Now, because of how prevalent this subject is in every generation, not just ours, it's one of the reasons that this lesson and really all of our lessons today, our gospel lesson about the rich man and Lazarus, really has the same focus. It's why these lessons were included in the historic lectionary, the series of readings that we use every Sunday. Every year, we hear this same lesson. Every year. And this subject is so prevalent, it actually comes up about three times in in the lectionary. In fact, the next time it will come up is the very end of the Trinity season. So we begin the Trinity season talking about this, and we end the Trinity season talking about this. And it's been this way for about a thousand years. So don't just think I'm criticizing today's society because... Culture and society has always, we've always had this problem. And if you think about the historic lectionary for just a moment more, the readings from Advent to Pentecost, two Sundays ago, they all deal with the life of Christ. And then we get into this long Trinity season, and it's, and it's this, in this season where, where we deal with really the life of the church. The first six Sundays in this season deal with how the church is born the reason and the cause of our being saved and that one day we'll be taken home to heaven. Most people think that the reason is that we are saved is because of what we do. Everyone wants to believe that good people go to heaven and that bad people, like the rich man in our gospel lesson, go to hell. Everyone wants to believe that they are Lazarus. Everyone wants to believe that they're always, they're, there's always a rich man or a richer man out there. No one wants to believe that they are that rich man. And of course, most people, just by looking at the, what, what the rich man did in the text, well, they might not be. They don't dress in, in fine purple robes every day. They don't feast on the most expensive food They don't walk right by a poor man sitting at the gate of their nice mansion. And so what can happen is that a person will start to believe that they're good enough. And so they'll start to trust in their own wisdom. At least I'm not as dumb as that rich man. Look at how foolish he was. Well, they'll start to trust in their own power. Well, I've helped others more than that rich man. If I were that person, I would certainly help Lazarus. And they will trust in their own riches. I'm not overly wealthy like that rich man. I've got just what I need. So there's always a tendency to believe that it's always other people, particularly those who seem better off in various ways, to believe that they are spiritually worse than I am. And this is especially true in our society between people of different political ideologies or geographic locations or different demographics. Those who are politically conservative will say of those who are politically liberal how much smarter they are and how they're better Christians because of it. Those who live in rural settings, for example, will say how much harder working they are than those who live in urban settings and how they're more godly because of it. Those who are poor will say of those who are rich that because they have less money, that's what it means to be a a, a true Christian, a better Christian. And all of these happen in reverse, too. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you live in the city or live in the country, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, your wisdom, your strength, or your riches have nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. Now, it's not that riches, strength, or wisdom are in themselves bad things. Those things are from God and they are blessings. But the problem becomes whenever I begin to think that because of my station in life, because of my knowledge, because of my particular strength, because of my amount of riches, that I'm good enough. That God should be pleased with me over and above anyone else. This is giving God lip service, and it's not a trust in God at all. It's a trust in me, and I am not enough to save me. Everything I have and everything I am is corrupt, so corrupt, in fact, that I'm spiritually dead. Our opening hymn this morning that we sing says this beautifully. It says, all our knowledge, sense, and sight lie in deepest darkness shrouded. Till thy spirit breaks our night with the beams of truth unclouded, thou alone to God can win us. Thou must work all good within us. The only way that I can be saved and, and am saved is for God to do everything to save me. For my sin, for my corruption, from everything I have. And this happens in one way, through the working of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. That's why Lazarus, from our gospel lesson, went to heaven. It had nothing to do with how poor he was compared to the rich man. It was because he clung on to God's Word and promises over and above anything in this world. Whereas the rich man clung to his riches, power, power, and his wisdom over God. Instead of boasting in our riches, power, and wisdom, Jeremiah says this He says, Let those who boast boast about this, that they have understanding and that they know me, that they know I am the Lord who shows mercy, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. I can have all the riches. In the world, but if I don't have Christ as my true treasure, I have nothing. I can have all the power in the world, but without Christ, I am the weakest of all. I can have all the wisdom, but if I don't know Christ, then I'm nothing but a fool. Everything I have, my heart, soul, mind, and strength are useless at restoring me with God. It's only through faith in Christ's work by the Holy Spirit that we could love God with all our hearts or please Him. See, only Christ loved the Father with all His heart, with all His soul, with all His mind, and with all His strength. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? that Jesus did, and following the feeding of the 5,000, remember how people wanted to take Jesus and make him their bread king by force, to make him their king that would, that would give them all the food and things that they wanted, and how Jesus, just after that, just turned and, and walked away. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and how Satan took him up and showed him all the riches of the world and said, everything could be yours. But Jesus overcame the devil and said no by the word of God. Jesus did these things not only to show us an example, but he did that because we couldn't do it. We are by nature sinful and unclean. I cannot by my reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to break through our dark, dead hearts with the beams of truth. He alone creates faith through the Word. He wins us over to God and works good in us so that we can go out and love and serve our neighbor. That's what it means to know God, as Jeremiah says. Knowing God will cause us to look outside of ourselves, To look outside of myself for salvation, to look to Jesus, and to look outside of myself to others who need my help. To show mercy, justice, and righteousness to others, just as God has already shown to us. We love because he first loved us. To not be like the rich man and ignore those who are in need of our help, but to do what we can to help them. In fact, this is why God gives us our intellect, our wisdom. It's why God gives us our power. And it's why God gives us our wealth. It's not for God. It's not really even for me. It's so I can help my neighbor. We are made rich, spiritually rich, not through our heart, soul, mind, or strength, not because of our riches, wisdom, or power. We have been made rich through the working of the Holy Spirit, through the apostles and prophets, through the Word of God. Through the Word of God that proclaims to us everything that Christ has done. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.